Hey, this is Robbie Shaw. This is Patrick Bosley. And I'm Sam Hampson. And this is Champagne Problems, where we come together to explore the gray areas of drinking. This is a judgment-free zone where we can all take a look at how we make decisions about our relationship with alcohol. So one of the things that I think we should address, especially, you know, talking about health and wellness, like, what does healthy drinking look like? What is, you know, is there such thing? If there is, you know, how do we... How do we define that? Yeah. What are some of the questions that, you know, we need to ask to figure that out? Yeah. I, I uh, you know, I mean, I think that is uh, something that we, you know, in, in the work we do, obviously, but also in just regular conversations where people are just curious, that comes up. And often, you know, we're looking for a kind of hard line definition, you know, a black and white answer or a more simple answer when it... In my opinion, and, and, and at least in my experience, it's, it seems to boil down to the individual pretty pretty frequently. And, and I'll provide some examples. You know, one is, look at like a, what we consider to be a very functioning drinker. And, you know, you don't have a bunch of consequences to point at. You know, you get your work done, you get up in the morning, you do all the things, you, you, you fulfill all your responsibilities. But then... I think the question lies, how do you truly feel on the inside? You know, if you're drinking to a degree that it becomes a dependence, you know, for whatever, in whatever area, whether it's emotion, whether it's trying to kind of suppress thoughts and feelings, you know, it, it really just takes a hard look inward to determine whether it's a healthy level of drinking or not. In my opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, right? that, that can even get complex. And that because, gets complex. <laughs> you know, totally. I can say, okay, well, I'm looking in and everything inside of me is telling me that, you know, my drinking habits are healthy, but objectively, mm -hmm. you know. Right, and and the hard part is is how to look, you know, how to effectively assess yeah. yourself. And and I, I have always found that the best tool is eliminating it for a while. First of all, to see mm -hmm. if you can. Mm -hmm. Second, to see how you feel without it. And, you know, more times than not with someone who does drink pretty consistently, there's a loss there. Mm -hmm. And, and, it, and it's, it's almost like you don't know what you got until you lose it. For sure. I think involving someone else in that conversation, too, is always helpful. You know, right. one of the things that we keep saying is we're not talking about this, we're not talking about this. And it doesn't always have to be a licensed professional, but just bouncing that off of someone else. Like, have you ever thought to ask someone else what they think of your drinking? Yeah, right. I don't think you drink enough. <laughs> right. You know, and, and just looking at those. And I think it, it's always, at least for me, it's a dance being a clinician, making sure that I'm not kind of giving advice and that I'm not no one's taking what I'm saying as diagnostic because at the end of the day, it is different for everyone and it's based on a lot of different things, but there are some really hard lines and these are kind of defined by entities like DHHS or the National Institute on Alcohol and Drug Abuse. And those folks are going to define these things where we can look just really black and white at like, where do I fall? Yeah. Right. So I always thought, when I was younger, that moderate or normal drinking was like two or three drinks a day. Mm -hmm. That is not <laughs> what is considered moderate by those 
entity. So moderate drinking is considered one drink per day for women and two drinks per day for men. Anything that goes into the binge realm will look like four plus drinks for females. And that's on the same occasion, right, within the same kind of day or time frame Mm -hmm. and at least once a month. And for men, that number is five plus drinks on the same occasion, at least one day per month. That is considered binge drinking. So if you go out as a male and you have five beers over the course of watching a football game with friends, barbecuing, and then going home, and that has happened once in a month time period, that is binge drinking. You know, one thing that I bring up a lot is, you know, often we create our own personal definition of either alcoholism or alcoholic or addiction. And, and often our personal situation lies just shy of that. Yeah. You know, so we always have something (laughs) to point at that's Mm -hmm. I'm not that right. You know, an alcoholic is, is over there in the gutter. An alcoholic is drinking every day or an alcoholic Mm -hmm. is drinking all day. Uh, and then, you know, I don't do that. Therefore, therefore I'm okay. But I, I use I use this quite a bit in speaking to people just to kind of you know try to lay it out more in a in a layman you know term where it doesn't frequency is not the the deciding factor right. it's it's what happens when you drink right I try to get that point across to to a lot of the gray area the curi- the curious folks if I drink once a year mm-hmm. only once a year but I beat the shit out of my wife every time I do it yeah. Maybe there's an issue. Yep. Maybe I have an issue with alcohol. You know, it has nothing to do with frequency. When I think what the only differentiator there is like that's that's some serious criteria, right? That's when we're looking at is there a substance use disorder, is there impact on functioning? And then there's this whole other medical side to it of yeah. like, what if you fall way below that? Right. What if nothing disastrous or overtly obvious happens when you drink? But what, at what point am I putting my body at mm-hmm, risk? Mm-hmm. At what point am I compromising my wellness? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. then if we look at anything above that moderate, which one per day for women, two per day for men, anything above that really is considered heavy alcohol use. So the NIAAA defines heavy alcohol use as more than four drinks on any day for men and more than three drinks for women. And SAMHSA says that heavy alcohol use is defined as binge drinking or on five or more days in the past month. So if you've gone out every weekend, let's say you drank all of the Saturdays plus one Friday, and you drank more than that binge amount, so for me that would be more than four drinks on Mm -hmm. those occasions, that's considered heavy alcohol use. Mm -hmm. And there may or may not be substance use disorder or impact functioning criteria as well. It's like a maybe, but maybe not, but you're already in the heavy alcohol use category as far as wellness and physical concern. I mean, that would probably hit criteria for misuse, you know, if you, you know, and, and that's something that I don't think people know. So loosely, it's based on blood alcohol concentration, which is why you hear so many people obsess over breathalyzers is because what they're looking for is how much of that alcohol is free flowing and in your blood concentration. So these are the numbers that give or take weight, height, water intake, that kind of stuff. These are the general numbers where you're jumping above a 0.08. And when you do that, you're having an impact on your physical wellness. Mm -hmm. So a lot of it has to do with long-term effects. Right. You know, 
not not short term acute consequences, but the prevent the prevention of long term yeah. effects with consistent and, overuse. And that's where this conversation gets interesting because it's like you know, do the rewards from that moderate to mild alcohol use outweigh those long term risks? And I think you know that's kind of where we're at as a culture. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah, you know, yeah, okay, you know, if I'm gonna shave five years off my life because you know i want to have three drinks every night like so be so it so be it yeah. yeah yeah and that's where that's, you hear the whole like something's gonna kill me so yeah it's like yeah. this and is my like, one vice how do you argue with that though versus 97 <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> years old it right. is though and i think that's the difference between looking at the the binge drinking versus the moderating it's hard to say like why is it he- healthier quote unquote to drink two for a man to drink two drinks every single day versus being a being a man and drinking more than five drinks on an occasion once a month and it's these are all based on the physical impact the toll if you will that these things take on your body So hello, everybody. We are here today with Amy Damaso. Uh, Amy is a friend of a friend. We were told that we've met each other and had a conversation. Neither of us remember this. I'm not sure what that means, but, uh, you know, good to see you, old pal. Good to see you. Yeah, we're glad to have you on here. We appreciate you uh, being willing to participate in this. So Amy is an integrated health and wellness coach based in Los Angeles, uh, LA County, Hollywood Hills, where the people are beautiful and the Wi-Fi sucks. Um, <laughs> Amy, we, we again, we are very happy for you to be here. Um, instead of me kind of trying to give your credentials, would you mind just telling our listeners what you do and kind of how you got there? Sure. I started my career in health and wellness as a personal trainer, and I trained in New York City for about five years. Um, And when I moved to Los Angeles, I was traveling a lot with my husband and wanted to still help people be healthier. So I actually, and at that point, I transitioned to health coaching, which I kind of had been doing the whole time with my personal training clients. Um, But health coaching really allowed me to dive deeper into not only exercise and moving your body, but the nutrition stress management, and kind of just the day-to-day of how people live and how to make each day a little bit healthier. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, that makes you pretty much the perfect guest. Mm-hmm. You know, the, our whole podcast is coming from a place of wellness and, and, and health strategies. So we are very excited to pick your brain on this one. Kind of digging into somewhat of the current event. Have you noticed a difference in how much people are drinking since the pandemic? I have. I actually have a lot of conversations with clients, particularly in the past, probably nine months to a year. Um, I think when the pandemic started, suddenly everyone was home and had a lot of free time on their hands. And, you know, all of a sudden four or five o'clock would roll around and it's like, oh, I'm home. I have nothing to do. No place to be. I can pour a drink. And then I kind of noticed this summer where people were like, oh, I'm drinking every day. Like, I really have to dial that back. And by the holidays, the conversations were really looking towards, I need to take a break. And so we've had a lot of conversations about finding other ways to decompress at the end of the day, instead of reaching for that old reliable, a cocktail or a glass of wine. 
And so, you know, I think the pandemic's been an interesting evolution of, you know, people thinking, oh, I have all this freedom and I'm going to celebrate or enjoy myself. And then after a while, the novelty maybe wears off a little bit or we're start to, starting to feel the effects of this continued activity that's not really supporting our bodies. Yeah, wow, that's, uh, that's really interesting. I, I actually was not expecting that as your answer. A lot of times you kind of assume, you know, there's just a lot of drinking going on and you can leave it at that, but you've actually seen the, the, the cycle, the roller coaster almost, the diving in head first and, and then, you know, the recognition and then the effort to make some change. Absolutely, and you know, the clients that I see, a lot of them are trying to lose weight or they're training for something. And, you know, I think it, it's kind I equate drinking like eating dessert. It's kind of the same thing. You know, a little bit is great. A lot isn't that great for our bodies. So, you know, if you're trying to make yourself healthier, how do you regulate the amount of alcohol you consume? Or how do you regulate the amount of sugar you're putting into your body? It's kind of the same thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. One of the questions I had for you, Amy, is like when you are working with a new client or, you know, you take on a new client and you're kind of assessing their health and wellness needs and formulating some type of plan to move forward, does alcohol play a role in that assessment? Is that something that you focus in on? We definitely talk about it. It's part of my kind of health, opening health assessment that I do with each client. And so, you know, I kind of try and figure out what they're eating what they're drinking, you know, if what they're consuming is helping or hurting them. So drugs and alcohol are definitely part of that conversation, you know, kind of figuring out how much they're drinking each day. I've had clients that don't drink at all. And I have other clients that drink a lot and are making a really conscious effort to try and dial that down. And that's a whole nother conversation. You know, there's a lot of social pressure around drinking and, you know, kind of addressing that situation, but also, you know, it, the coming home every evening or finishing up your work calls and pouring a glass of wine or a glass of whiskey, like how do we address that? So finding, you know, talking about other things that you can do at the end of the day to unwind and relax instead of reaching for that drink. What are some of those, some of those things that you work on with your clients to help manage their stress levels instead of, you know, alcohol consumption? I think each client is a little bit different. You know, it's about finding something that they enjoy doing. I think also addressing triggers. You know, if cooking dinner, you're like, oh, I'm cooking dinner. I'm going to pour a glass of wine while I'm cooking. That might not necessarily be the right thing to get us away from drinking or, you know, finding other things to drink while you're cooking dinner. You know, I love instead of pouring a drink, going for a walk, walking the dog, playing with your kids. Um reading something, any type of hobby that you might have, just finding something that at the end of the day kind of brings that stress level down so you can mindfully move through your evening. It's so cool too, you're naming strategies that are also also in line with the health and wellness goals they likely already have rather than potentially counteracting kind of the goals that they have, which I think a lot of times we see alcohol as that thing that might be holding you back from the full potential of reaching that goal. And so when you name kind of stress management strategies that are like, you know, go for a walk, it's like that could actually enhance or speed up that whole process. And 
I'm curious what impact you're seeing alcohol having, you know, if someone's got regular consumption of alcohol, what impact does that have on their health and wellness goals? That's a great question. Regular consumption of alcohol actually has a lot of impact. It increases our levels of inflammation systemically throughout the body. Um, It causes blood sugar dysregulation, which I talk about all the time. And so when you consume alcohol, it actually turns into sugar in your body, which causes blood sugar spikes. It affects your sleep. So even a little amount of alcohol can decrease your sleep by about 9.3%, high amounts, almost 40%. So just affecting your sleep is a huge one. Memory loss, dependency, your digestive system, it really wrecks havoc on your digestive system. And it actually goes back to the fact that it metabolizes into sugar. Too much sugar in your diet causes uh, candida growth and can cause all kinds of inflammation and health issues. The fact that it affects your digestive system affects your immune health. So in a time where everyone's really conscientious of their immune health, drinking too much is actually going to be counterproductive in that. Right. I could go on. There is a whole list of things. I understand that it's individualized, but like, what are some of the tools that you use to, to measure alcohol consumption with your clients? I think there are probably standard metrics and measurements of what is too much. The conversations I usually have revolve around how does it make you feel? You know, is having one or two glasses of wine at night affecting your sleep and affecting your next day? You might not necessarily be hungover from having two glasses of wine, but if it's affecting your sleep and making you tired and groggy and causing more stress the next day, it is affecting your life. So, you know, it's, it's really about, you know, people that drink more, you know, if you have six glasses of wine, you're probably sleeping through the night, but you're not getting real sleep. You're never really hitting the REM stage of sleep where your body really restores and regenerates itself. So either way, sleep is definitely affected. To go back to your questions, you know, I think each person needs to kind of come up with how much alcohol is actually supporting or hurting them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Listening to what you do and and how you work with your clients. And it's almost like if, if you do come across someone that is, you know, not necessarily problematically drinking, that's not really the concern or the topic here. It's really just any level that might be a hurdle to their health and wellness goals. So you almost do a lot of the same work we do, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. well, in, in, in making changes. So if you, if your client, yes. is, if it is a hurdle and, and you come up with your, with your client goals and things to change and work on, uh, how do you advise that? How do you guide some of those changes? For instance, business dinners, social outings, like you said, cooking at home with a glass of wine, you know, how do you tell your clients or how do you guide them through those typical drinking scenarios? You know, when I was in New York, the business dinner was a hot topic. I had a lot of male clients who were executives in finance, and that's a big part of their job, going out to dinner and entertaining clients. And when they were training for something or trying to lose weight, you know, alcohol was always a hot topic. The conversations we had and the way I would approach it was they needed to make a decision for themselves. Like, why, why are they trying to dial back their drinking? Like they need, that needs to be their first priority. So if it's important to them, they need to make a mindful effort 
Um, I think mindfulness is a t something that people have been talking more and more about, but you know, being conscientious of how that alcohol is going to make them feel, how it's going to affect their next day, will they be able to wake up and go to their workout, all of these different things. So, you know, there's so much social pressure around drinking or not drinking. Men and women feel that, you know, I've gone out to dinner with girlfriends when I've been doing like a dry couple weeks or whatever. And the social outcry of not consuming alcohol is almost worse than like, you know, anything. It's just, you know, you're, you're, what is wrong with you? You're for a woman, it's either you're pregnant or something's wrong with you. For a man, it's just like, dude, like what's wrong with you? So you need to kind of be strong. I find that you need to almost reassure everyone that you're doing something for yourself and that they can, their choices, you know, are their choices and you respect them. You need them to respect yours. As like a health and wellness professional, do you feel like, or do you, do you see a value in alcohol use in, in this kind of health and wellness space? Like, do you feel like there is a healthy amount of, of alcohol use uh, or, you know, does alcohol help people in any way when it comes to health benefits? There are some health benefits. <laughs> I know that's a dumb question. <laughs> like, Come on, that's a question. <laughs> I get the argument that the Italians drink wine and they live to be a hundred. Right? Yes, yes, they do. The wine they are drinking is a lot purer, and they probably don't drink, you know, to themselves to oblivion. Like, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you have resveratrol in red wine, you can also get that in like supplement form or eat any type of like red or blue fruited vegetable or fruit. I think in small amounts, it can be beneficial and there is, you know, some health benefit. Uh, I find that most people don't keep it to one glass a day or a couple of days a week. Mm -hmm. I'm so, so curious how you are, how you approach this situation. How are you coaching someone through this kind of mentality? So one of the things that we hear is I'm working so hard on all of these other things and I deserve to have a drink almost like it's in a totally different pocket of I'm working mm -hmm. so hard on my diet, my exercise, all this stuff. And I should just be able to have surely a glass of wine and put that in like my vice category or column and put it over there as something I deserve as a result of all of my hard work on all this other stuff. How do you help kind of build discrepancy or how do you coach people through that? That's a big one. And it comes up in health coaching all the time. You know, I kind of approach it the same way I do diet and looking for non-food and beverage rewards is really important. A lot of us are conditioned from the time we're children that, you know, you've had a good day or a tough day, you get like a cookie or a brownie or a lollipop or something, you know, how do we get away from that mentality? And so I work with my clients to come up with a list of things that are rewarding to them, signing up for like some sort of workout class or buying themselves a new pair of sneakers or workout outfit, you know, getting a manicure, or something like whatever it is that they can do and enjoy that doesn't revolve around eating or drinking. So I kind of do the same thing with alcohol. I equate alcohol and dessert to kind of the same category. For me, it's like things that cause your blood sugar to go up and don't promote 
fat loss or weight loss or um, your body to be as healthy as it could be. Why do you think people reward themselves with bad things? <laughs> because bad things make us feel good. And I did not mean to throw it into the shaming category, but it's, no. just, it's a personal it's, curiosity as well. I am a self proclaimed self-sabotager, you know, I mean, I can go yeah. out, run, you know, 12 miles and I feel the need to eat a chili cheeseburger after that. Yes. Like, got to. You deserve it. And, it, and it. and my body will eat it up and put it out and I feel great. You know, it's just bizarre. Amy, you taking I, this? <laughs> I think we I, were conditioned to be rewarded at the end of like accomplishing something you know old habits do die hard and for health coaching it's really about looking at those habits and coming up with new ones which isn't easy and that's not always a fast process and you know finding little ways or you know for going back to drinking it's if you're having four drinks a night let's start by only having three like it doesn't have to be a major, major shift. And then maybe like a month in, you're like, oh, three doesn't, I don't need three. I can only have two. And then going from there. So it's not necessarily a fast process, but by changing your habits a little bit at a time, it's not totally overwhelming. It's not, you know, ripping the bandaid off or like you can't have anything. Um, I find people that go cold turkey, particularly with food people that put themselves on really strict diets they're like i'm only going to have a thousand calories a day i'm like that's gonna end terribly you're gonna freak out and eat everything in sight like don't do that (laughs) so you know trying to find ways where making little changes you know eating more vegetables or eating things that support your body and drinking things that support your body is really important yeah that kind of leads me to the next question I i was thinking about as you were talking are there certain types of foods or, or certain diets that are, you know, that are going to be better or maybe are going to complement somebody's, you know, attempts to kind of pull back their alcohol consumption? The higher quality food that you consume, the better your body is going to feel. So if you're subsiding on a diet of fast food, you're going to kind of feel like fast food. You're going to feel like junk. If you're eating a diet high in vegetables and fruits and lean proteins, your body is going to like use that food and you're going to feel better. You'll look better. So, you know, it's the same thing with alcohol. Uh, you know, I always encourage my clients to stick to clear spirits. I'm a big and soda person, you know, adding ice, adding soda, water it down. Like you don't need to have a straight shot of vodka or a straight shot of tequila. If you can dilute it down, A, it keeps you from drinking as much because you're kind of diluting it and it, hopefully will take you longer to consume things like that. If you're going to have wine, you know, stick to something that's organic and biodynamic, making sure that you're drinking water, you know, having a big glass of water before you have an alcoholic beverage, have a big glass afterwards. Water-based foods can also help because it'll fill you up. I also, I find just consuming more vegetables in a day will fill you up and you won't feel that need to kind of eat and drink more. As like sugars, right? Because a lot of times when I was working in treatment, if I had a guy, you know, pull back on alcohol use, get to the point of abstinence from alcohol use, it was like immediately sugar, sugar, donuts, candy, right? Like in just that balance. And so there's certainly a connection there of if you're restricting 
with food diet in a sugar realm, right? Maybe the cravings for alcohol sugars are going to be higher or that sort of thing. And so just staying away from that. But it also brings up the other question for me, because this is always where sugar and alcohol both land is in that reward system in the brain. And so one of the things that as I hear you talk, it sounds like you're also coaching folks on is delayed gratification versus immediate. And that's so tough because what you're looking at is everything from, you know, you can't go into the gym and exercise for a hundred hours straight and look amazing. You have to go in for a hundred days with rest days, right? And it takes time to get the results that you want. And then you're calling alcohol kind of this old reliable. And one of the reasons we reach for it is because it gives us that immediate relief. And so there's like this process where you're, it sounds like you're teaching your clients how to delay gratification. I can go and buy a new sports bra. I also don't get to wear it immediately, right? I don't have this immediate like, yes, but I do get that immediate relief when I consume alcohol. And so it's almost like there's some brain chemistry piece too there of teaching different behaviors and training your brain to be able to delay gratification. Absolutely. I think it's also about learning coping, coping mechanisms. You know, we, I think life is a little hard and we should all be able to deal with things and disappointments or wins in a way where we're not reaching for something to soothe us if things don't go our way. Yeah. It's tough. It's like you said, those gradual habits or, or the kind of gradual changes versus restriction or completely cutting out, you know, we're talking about moderating, we're talking about changing behavior over time. Yeah. I think being able to recognize you brought up a point, um, about sugar and sugar actually literally makes us feel better. Like it hits that pleasure reward center of our brain. And so, you know, that is why sugar and alcohol tend to be the things that we migrate towards, because when you do consume them, alcohol turns to sugar in your bloodstream, baked goods or candied straight sugar, it literally makes you feel better so that it'll make you feel better and then it'll make you feel worse. What would be, you know, a couple things or maybe even just one thing that you would say to our listeners um, from your perspective and from your expertise, if, you know, they're making the decision to look at their relationship with alcohol? I always like to dig into the why, like, why are you looking at your relationship with alcohol? Is your current relationship supporting your goals, your health goals, your life, your relationships? I really like people to kind of have their own motivation, not external motivation, because I think if it comes from within, it's going to resonate a little bit deeper and hopefully you'll take it a little bit more seriously. You know, nobody wants to lose weight because somebody told them to. You have to come to that decision on your own. So really kind of dissecting the why and then kind of making little daily reminders to yourself of why you're doing this. Like, why are you making this choice? What is going to be better in your life by doing whatever it is you're doing? So that's that's kind of my approach. I like people to come up with their own self-motivations instead of me giving them a list of things to do. Love it. Mm-hmm. Love it. Perfect. That was perfect. Awesome. Cool. Amy, we've got an empty chair here. If you want to be our fourth co-host, <laughs> Amy, I'd love to. It might make I you a per- permanent fixture. <laughs> <laughs>
Let's wrap it up for our listeners, and if y'all would, for me, please, share what you think the most important takeaway from that was. I think for me, the biggest takeaway from that and just talking with Amy was the the why and it being deeply personal yeah. Yeah. and it needing to come from you. Like Because I think that's a huge part of what our podcast is, is it's not, it's not should or shaming. It's why are you wanting to take a look at this? Why yeah, are what you, do you want? What do you want? Does it fit? Does it not fit? And what kind of motivation, what kind of accountability, what kind of changes can you make for you? Not as as a result of a should or a, you know some other kind of external force. It it's just a personal change, and you know it's got to come from a place of really getting clear and honest with yourself about what role it plays for you. Yeah, one thing that stands out for me is is her comparison to desserts. Uh, <laughs> you know, and I love the reward yeah, mentality of it because I mean, if you think about it, you know we. We do. We we drink alcohol for the for the feeling. It does yeah. make us feel good for the instant gratification. Therefore, it it does fall under reward. Yeah. We do deserve rewards, and so it was interesting. We asked that question, uh, like, "What's your response to I deserve a drink?" Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's just the nature of the human. You know, we do work hard. Life is hard. We do reserve to feel good every now and then, and to relieve ourselves of of life stressors, and 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 that is okay. Yeah. It's so informative to hear someone, you know, on her level. Talk about the balance. And you want really a reward is. that is positive and then ends positive, not a reward right. that started as positive and now and I then, feel like crap as a result. Yeah. Exactly. And so therein lies kind of the, the preparation or the prevention or the knowledge or the information that, you know, allows you to utilize that as a reward. Like, does it honor or reward the hard work you've put in? And if alcohol is that for you, that's great. And if it has gotten to the point where you, it started as a reward and now it's actually not honoring your goals or hard work and it's countering just a a place to look. Cool. Just look at it. Just take a look. Take a look at it. The information and opinions shared on this podcast are solely those of the hosts and guests and not a substitute for medical advice. If you feel like you may need professional help, here are some resources. For the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration hotline, call 1-800-662-4357 or visit samsa.gov. For listeners in the Charlotte, North Carolina community, visit dilworthcenter.org or call 704-372-6969. Or visit theblanchardinstitute.com or call 704-272-6969. 288-1097.